At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. Now, during World War II, there was actually about 5 million people who were taken captive into prisoner of war camps. Uh, many of these different war camps were ran by the Japanese, and there was one guy in particular who ran one of these war camps. His name was Kanishi. Now, Kanishi was very well known for being a brutal and evil man. Actually, his desire for his, his camps was that before anybody was able to get out of his camps, that all of them would actually die. And so he tried in many different ways to end their lives. Well, there was one date in particular where he determined that he was going to take the lives of all of those that were remaining within his camp. February 24th, 1945. February 24th, 1945. That was the date that he decided. Well, something ended up happening that Kanishi never knew about. On February 24th, 1945, General Douglas MacArthur came into this camp, released all of the prisoners, and saved their lives. Praise God for those who serve in our military and those who fight for our freedom. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So General MacArthur, and he freed them. Well, they tried to capture Kanishi, but they didn't. He actually escaped. Well, they spent years looking for him because they wanted to get him, they wanted to try him, and they wanted to kill him for his crimes. Well, they actually ended up finding him. They found him working as a gardener in a golf club in Manila in the Philippines. They captured him, they tried him, and he was ready to be hanged. But before he was hanged, he was asked to say his final words. And his final words were, I love and I cherish the Lord Jesus Christ. I love and I cherish the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the reporter that had asked him this question said, what, what introduced you? How did you know Christ? He said it was because of the testimony of the Christians that were in the war camps that he ran. The testimony of the Christians under the greatest persecution and struggles in their life was such a witness to this man that this wicked, evil man, by the power of God, through the working of Christian testimony, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And now for him, his execution was a, just a doorway into heaven. What an incredible story of God working through the faithful witness of believers under, under struggles. But you may ask the question, how could they do that? How could they be so faithful under the midst of persecution? I know for me, as I read this story, I was greatly challenged by it. I said, how could I do that, Lord? And I, I know without your spirit, without the power of God, I could never do that. But as we look at the scriptures, we see that for a believer, we are promised something far greater than this world has to offer. We're promised a hope that is unshakable. 
And that's what we've been looking at in the book of 1 Peter in our series called Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to see some of the benefits and the beautiful things that Christians get by worshiping and serving God. And we're going to see what our place is in the household of God. So please open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 8. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 8. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, feel free to pull out your cell phone and and look at that. Uh, Just make sure you're bringing the Word because we're going to dive into the Word. And so as we look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8, we're going to see uh, two different things that we must do in the midst of persecution. Because as we know, Peter, he's writing to people who are under persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. He's writing to, to a scattered out group of Christians in, in what's now modern day Turkey. And he's telling them to remain steadfast and to stand firm in the midst of society that hates them. And so first thing that we see that Peter uh, tells the Christian church to do in the midst of persecution is to recognize their place in the house of God. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now there is a lot within this passage. But what I want to look at here first is to see our place in the household of God. And we're going to see six different things that we as Christians get because we follow Christ. The first thing that we see is that we get union with Christ. Now, these aren't going to be in your notes, so you can add these if you want to. We get union with Christ. It says, as you come to him. Now, it's important to realize that salvation is only found one place, and that is in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Matthew 11 says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. As we come to Jesus, we become one with Jesus. As we come to Jesus, we become unified with Jesus. So much so that in Colossians 3, it actually says, when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Sit with that for just a minute. Christ who is your life. Galatians 2.20 says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Our identity is found in Christ. And we get the privilege of being in unity and union with God. Amen? Amen. I just told you, you get union with Jesus Christ. Amen? If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, what a blessed privilege. To have. We get union with Christ. 
It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, it's important to see here that the living stone that Peter is talking about is Jesus Christ himself. And it says of this living stone that he was rejected by men. I think it's important to know that of Jesus. And we do know that of Jesus. If we study his life, he ended up his life in crucifixion on a cross for criminal charges that he did not commit. Yet he raised from the dead in victory. And that's the end of the story. And and the end of the story is that Jesus Christ will rule and reign forever. But as we see this, we have to realize that the world rejected Jesus. It's interesting to me, though, as I think about Jesus, and we think about all that the Bible tells us to live like, think about people who are full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Jesus exemplified all of these things. When you hear about somebody who exemplifies those things, wouldn't you think that'd be somebody that the world might just embrace? I mean, somebody who exemplifies all those things, it would make sense that the world will embrace him. But the reality is that even if we are living out the Christian faith to its greatest and loving others and loving our enemies, the world is still going to hate you because you love Jesus. It says that if they rejected me, they will also reject you. And the world rejected Jesus. Jesus' place and his, his, his place of position and his legacy was not found in what the people of the world thought of him. You see, Jesus was rejected by the world. But let's look here. We can see in the next part, it says you've been reje- he was rejected by the world. But in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. Those are the two words that the scripture uses to define this living stone, Jesus Christ. Chosen and precious to God. Now, it's important to know both of these words because if we look at the text as it continues on, it starts to talk about us. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, look what it says. You yourselves, the Christians, the followers of Christ, like living stones. Hang on just a minute. Who is the living stone? Jesus is the living stone. Now, the same language is used to talk about Christians. He is the living stone, and we are the living stones. That is incredible. This idea of being chosen and precious as the living stone, that now goes from Jesus, and it applies to us as well if we are in Christ. Chosen and precious, that is you. Chosen and precious, amen? What a great blessing from God. We get to be in union with Christ, identified with Christ. And while the world is going to reject us, and you may be feeling that right now, you may go to your job and feel like you're an absolute outcast because you love Jesus. You may go to your school and feel like you're an absolute outcast because you love Jesus or because you live according to the Bible, not according to the ways of this world. But listen, while we're rejected by men, we're chosen and precious as living stones in the eyes of God. 
And the text continues. That's just one of the things. The next thing is we get to be the spiritual house for God, being built up by God. Look at this. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up by God, are being built up as a spiritual house. We are a spiritual house. Now, it's important to understand in a very individualistic society, the United States, that this is very corporate language. This is talking about the body of Christ. This is talking about the church. If we look at the New Testament letters, they were written to communities. Christianity is meant to be communal. Christianity is meant to do with others. I mean, if you think about the very, the, the very identity of Christians before the world and how they will know we are disciples, it's by our love for one another. It's hard to love one another if you're sitting on your couch worshiping by yourself, isn't it? Yes, it is. We need each other in order to truly fulfill the calling and the mission of God. Yet we're told that we are the spiritual house of God. We get to be a place of worship for God. Now that's an incredible truth. That this right here, the people, not the building, the people are a place of worship for God. This used to be an office building. This was just a building and is still a building without the people of God and it, it's not a church. You are the spiritual house of worship of God. You are where God's very presence resides. This is where the creator of the universe resides and we get to worship him in that place. And we are living stones being built up into this worship place for God. So we get to be the spiritual house of God, but it gets even further. Look at this. It says, to be a holy priesthood. We get to be Christ's holy priesthood. Now you have to understand a little bit what it means to be part of the priesthood. Priests were those in the Old Testament that were set apart for worship of God. They were set apart in order to lead God's people before the Lord. They were those who offered sacrifices on behalf of the people for forgiveness of their sins. They were those whose entire lives were dedicated to worshiping and serving God. Their whole existence was dependent upon God and their whole lives were dedicated to God. Those were the priests and they were a very select group of people. Now, it's important to know that the, the house of God in the Old Testament, if you go back to Exodus, it was in tents where they would meet with the Lord and only Moses could go before God. Or when the priesthood was created, only the high priest could go before God one time a year. And we look at the history of Israel, this is what continued to happen. They went from tents to temples that were actually built, but there was always this place in the tabernacle, the place where God said to worship, called the Holy of Holies. And the way the Holy of Holies was set up is there was actually a curtain in between where uh, the main area was for people to offer sacrifices and the place where the Ark of the Covenant resided, where it said that God's presence actually resided. And only one person could go in one time a year, and that was the Day of Atonement, to offer sacrifices, and that had to be the high and holy priest. One guy got to go before the presence of God. And it was not a small thing to enter before the presence of God. So much so that if their heart was not right before God, that person would be killed by God. 
So what they actually did, and I'm not making this up, they actually would tie a bell around this guy's ankle and a rope around his waist. Now the bell was to make sure that as long as that bell was still dinging, this guy was still alive. The rope was in case the bell stopped ringing. They could pull him out without having to go in there themselves and get struck down by God because they were in disobedience before him. But do you remember what happened at the cross? Remember what happened when Jesus died and said, it is finished? That curtain that separated the people from the presence of God and the Holy of Holies actually split in two. And the representation is that this now is not the house of God. And it is not only the high priest who can have communion with God. It is all believers. It's the priesthood of believers. Isn't that a beautiful truth? You can come before God in communion with him. That door has been opened, and now we have direct communication with God. For an Old Testament saint, that would have made no sense at all. We get to go before God, and we get to worship and praise him. We are his priesthood. And we get to teach people how to worship and praise him. And we get to enter into his presence. What a blessed privilege. So first, we're, we're living stones and we're in union with Christ. We get to be this spiritual house of God. We get to be this holy priesthood. And as the holy priesthood, the next thing we get to do is offer spiritual sacrifices. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood in order or to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We get to offer sacrifices. Now, I think, I mean, when I hear the word sacrifice, and I say, you get to offer a sacrifice. You think about sacrifice, but I'm losing something when I sacrifice something. I think that's the first thing we think of when we think of a sacrifice. Man, that person really sacrificed in order to put his kids through college. Man, that mom really sacrificed by raising up those kids as a single mom. Wow, they gave a lot of sacrifice as they defended our freedom. And there truly was sacrifice. Yet even with the, uh, the illustrations I just presented there, this idea of sacrifice, what the people lost, they gained so much more in return. What the people lost, they gained so much more in return. Yes, we are called to sacrifice before God. We're called to give our very lives to him. We're called to surrender our lives to God. And say, God, it's your life. So basically, we give up this idea that we can have whatever dream in this life we want to, to fulfill our fleshly desires. That's what we're giving up when we give our lives to God. But what we receive in return is so much greater. We get union with Christ. We get to be a spiritual house of God. We get to praise and worship him, and we get to offer these sacrifices. Uh, what are these sacrifices, though? You have to ask that question in Scripture. What are different sacrifices that we see listed? 
Well, first there's the sacrifice of your body. Romans 12.1 says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. There's a sacrifice of prayer in Revelation 8.3. Prayer is seen as a sacrifice to God. When you go before communion with God, it's seen as a sacrifice before God. Now you have to understand how Old Testament sacrifice worked. When you put a sacrifice to God, the Old Testament talks about the fact that the scent of that sacrifice went up to the heavens and that aroma was pleasing to God. And so as we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, it pleases our God. As we offer our prayers and get communion with God, it pleases him. This is the hard truth that I struggle with. My, my mind naturally thinks of God as holy and righteous and, and he is set apart and he is all powerful and he's king of kings and lord of lords and all these things are 100% true. It's hard for me to grasp that my God cherishes me. Did you know that? That God made you for himself? God made you to worship and praise him. God made you to be in relationship with him. God made you to get to worship him. That's mind-blowing. And we get to pray and be in communion and fellowship with him. It pleases him. It says in Ephesians that we are his inheritance. That's incredible. Hebrews 13, 15 says that the fruit of our lips, singing praise to God as a sacrifice. Righteous deeds, Hebrews 13, 16. Ephesians 5, 2 says that love is a sacrifice to God. Romans 15, 16 says that leading somebody to the knowledge of Christ, sharing the gospel with somebody is a sacrifice to God. We get to do all of these things we get to offer spiritual sacrifices of our own bodies, of prayer, of praise to God, of righteous deeds, loving God and loving one another. We get the amazing privilege to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. If no one shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'd still be dead in your sins. But we get the privilege to do for others what God has done in us as he works through the word of the gospel to regenerate the dead dark heart to turn to faith in him so we have to ask ourselves are we holding anything back from god you see it may seem like it's costing us a lot to give up these things it may seem really difficult and really hard because giving up things and sacrificing is not easy but think about what we get in return. We get him. We get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We get the privilege of being God, being with God forever. Every part of our lives matters to God. Every part of our lives is called to be holy before God. We talked a few weeks ago about being holy as he is holy. We also talked about the fact that that's a standing before God as well, that he has made us holy. Before the foundations of the world, it says that God elected, chose us in him to be holy and blameless before him. 
Before the foundation of the world, if you know Christ right now, it was destined that you would surrender your life to Jesus. God planned it, and God chose you before creation. Chosen and precious. So, are our bodies holy to God, or are we doing things with our bodies that are dishonoring to God? Are we going before God in prayer? Prayer is especially powerful in the season that we're currently in. Prayer is especially important. Our God is the one who is in control of all things, yet he listens to us. It says in James that the prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. So are we going before God in prayer? Are we offering praise to God? Yes, coming here, which is so awesome to see all of you. And singing beautiful words of worship before God. Telling him that his faithfulness is great. Isn't his faithfulness great? Amen. Saying, all I have is Christ. Man, if we realize that, how will that change our lives? Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. As this world continues to change, as this world continues to go forward, as we look at the trajectory of this world, we're going to continue to have to rely on that, that all I have is Christ. But the reality is, is that Christ is enough for us. We get Christ. There's a book called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus is the greatest prize and treasure we can ever have. And if we have him, we're the richest person in the world. Also, are we going before God and are we praising him through thanksgiving? We see this continually throughout scripture, that we praise God through thanksgiving, through thanking him for what he has done in our lives. For me, that's the thing that slips the easiest, is I forget to thank God. I don't know who said it, but it's something that stuck in my mind, that if you only had tomorrow what you thanked God for today, what would you have? For me, that was challenging because I think some of the most important things in my life I wouldn't have thanked God for and I wouldn't have. The reality is God is gracious and loving and we can thank him for that too. And we can thank God for this body of believers. Paul continually in his letters says, I thank God for all of you, remembering you in my prayers. He prays for the saints and he remembers them. Brothers and sisters, pray for your life groups. Pray for your spiritual family here. Remember God for the brothers and sisters you have and thank him for them. For some of you, Sunday mornings and life groups are the beautiful beacon of hope of your week to go forward into your hostile work environment and continue to shine the light of Christ. I praise God for this body of believers. I praise God for each and every one of you. We desperately need each other, especially in these times. It's so important to not view church as a place we go, but a people who we are. It's who we are. We are the church. It's so important to not view church as this thing we do on Sundays, but it's something we do throughout our lives. 
That's why we do life group. We want to gather more. Gather more with the people of God to worship and praise him. Are we loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we loving our neighbor as we would want to be loved ourselves? Are we sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? We get the privilege and honor to do that. We're living as God's set-apart people. And this was God's plan from the beginning of time, was to set a people apart for himself. It started with the nation of Israel. God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he, he, he comes to him and he says that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. That occurs at the cross of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. And it says in Romans that now those who are in Christ are the new spiritual Israel, God's chosen people. And we see this here. Peter talks about this whole idea of it being something that the Lord has planned from the beginning. He he quotes Old Testament scripture here from Isaiah. Uh, Look at verse 6. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. So Peter says, all those who believe in Christ have the honor and privilege of knowing him. That's another thing we get. We get to have affection for Jesus Christ. We get to have relationship with Jesus Christ. John 17, 3 says that eternal life is knowing Jesus. We get to have affection for him. Do we have affection for Jesus? As I studied this this week, I was convicted Do I view Jesus as chosen and precious? Another thing we get is assurance that if you believe in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. Who are those who are put to shame in their belief? Well, it's those who believe an entire lifetime and live a life dedicated to something and realize in the end that it wasn't true. It's the reality for the humanistic evolutionist, the atheist, the one who does not believe in a God the one who lives their life based upon the belief. Yes, atheism is a belief. The belief that there is no God. The belief that after they die, they will just go out of existence. But they will find in the end that the word of God is true, it is right, and they will find out that they are put to shame and they are under the wrath of God. That is why if you don't know Christ today, know that this is the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way. But for the Christian, you will not be put to shame. When I think about this idea, the the illustration that comes to my mind is the story of Noah, the historical account of Noah from the Old Testament. Now, if you don't know the story of Noah, what ends up happening is God creates the heavens and the earth. Uh, People step into sin. People continually get more wicked until there's a point in Genesis where God says, I regret I even made them. I'm going to wipe out everything in existence because every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. That pretty much covers everything. And God says that I'm going to wipe out the entire earth. But he comes to Noah and he shows him grace and his family grace and he gives him favor. And he says, listen, what I want you to do is build a giant ship in the middle of the desert. Okay. Yeah, this ship is actually the size of a cruise ship. If you get an opportunity to go to Kentucky, they have a replica of this ship. It's three stories tall. It's massive. 
as you stand before it. And they spent decades, day after day, building this ship. Now imagine the wicked people around them, how they made fun of them. Imagine how they put them to shame. Imagine what it must have looked like for Noah and his family. Until that day when the heavens opened up. Until that day when the rain started to fall. Until that day when the water started to rise. And every living creature on earth was wiped out besides those who were in the ark. Noah was vindicated. He was not put to shame. In the same way, you may live your life. You may be made fun of. You may not be the most popular person in high school. You might not have a ton of friends in middle school. You might not get that position in your career that you want because you're a Christian. And people may make fun of you. In this world, you will face trials and persecution. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world because one day the sky will open and he will return. And he will make all things new. And those who believe in Jesus will not be put to shame because he is true and he is right. We get the honor of living for Jesus. Second thing that that Peter says is don't stumble over the word of God. The first is talking about the benefits in Christ. The second is a warning. It says in 7b through 8, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. You either have affection for Christ and follow Christ or Christ is going to offend you and you're going to reject Christ. Either he's the cornerstone, the cornerstone of your life, the thing which all other things are based upon, or he's a stumbling stone. Because what Jesus says is hard. Don't live your life for yourself. Forget about everything your flesh wants to go after. Everything you naturally do. And pursue me, which is something that is not even in any way something you can do on your own. It has to be done by the Spirit of God in you. It's a a stumbling block of offense. It's interesting because if we look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, we actually see that Jesus tells us the reason why people stumble over us says two things. It says that you are actually an aroma everywhere you go. You smell like two things. To those who are being saved, you smell like life. But to those who are perishing, you smell like death because you remind people of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the standard of God, and people will not want to be around you if you're living for Jesus, even if you're the nicest person. And you're living for God with your whole heart because you remind them of the reality of the judgment of God. So we have to ask ourselves, are we stumbling over God? Or have you surrendered your life to Christ? We have to touch on this very quick verse here because it's something that I could spend an entire sermon preaching, which I will not preach another sermon on this. But we do have to touch on it quickly. It says here, they stumble because they disobey the word. Now this is the phrase, as they were destined to do. Now that word were means it's past tense and it was done by somebody else. 
and the as connects it to everything before. So what we have to look at here is a hard text that we're just going to scratch the surface of, but I would encourage you to look into deeper. And I'm going to read somebody who said it much better than me, uh, commentator Thomas Schreiner, who's the professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He writes, this pronoun, as, refers back to the entire thought that proceeds. God has not only appointed that those who disobey the word would stumble and fall, he has also determined that they would disbelieve and stumble. The idea that calamity also comes from God is often taught in the Old Testament. Look at three different references. Lamentations 3.18. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamity and good things come? Amos 3.6, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Isaiah 45.7, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. The worldview of the scriptures is that God is sovereignly in control of all things, from the decisions made by kings to the rest of everything else within life. Now, it's important to understand within this, there's something that we must mention as well. God is sovereign and in control of all things. That's one path you see run down through scripture. The second path you see is that man is fully responsible for all of our sins. Man is fully responsible for all of our sins and we, we are righteously judged by God. Yet at the same time, God is in control of all things. And the reason why Peter mentions this is to show the saints that what is happening to them and what is going on in their lives is something that God is in control of. It says, as they were destined to do. The reality that God is in control of all things is a hard reality to wrestle with. Yet, it is also a comforting reality that the suffering and the pain that you face had to go through God first. And that God is working in us something that we can never imagine. And all things are working out for our good and His glory. So there will be those who surrender their lives to Jesus Christ who are chosen from the beginning of time. And there will be those who stumble over this rock of offense. And we preach the gospel to both because we do not know who's chosen by God and we do not know who's destined to stumble. So we preach the gospel of Jesus and it does the work if you are here today, you were destined to hear this message. If you are here today, you were destined to hear the gospel of Jesus. So if you don't know Christ, don't let this be offensive to you. Let it change you. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, let him take you. Give your life to him. Because this is the truth. And there's only one way to the Father. as to surrender in Jesus Christ. There's only one way to all of the blessings that are in Christ, and it is through surrender to God. And our reminder as Christians is to build our lives on the cornerstone of Christ. Build your life on the cornerstone of Christ. This image of cornerstone is the stone which all others were built upon, and that stone determined the direction of all others. It actually means to set all angles. Let Christ set all the angles of your life. 
Let the word of God be a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. Walk with it. Let Christ determine the direction in every area of your life. Because we get all of these great benefits in Christ. And we get Christ himself. And he is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. He is our savior. He is the one that we get to worship. And he is the one who is going to make all things new. And we will be with him if you know Christ as your savior for all eternity. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.